Hello and welcome to this podcast uh, for the section of genetics and genomics of the American Thoracic Society. Today we have the opportunity to talk to Dr. Juan Celedon. He is the Division Chief at the Pulmonary Medicine, Allergy and Immunology section at the Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh. And he is a longstanding member of our section and also is the treasurer of the American Thoracic Society. Welcome uh, to our podcast, Dr. Celedon. Hi, Jose. It's a pleasure uh, to be in this podcast. Thank you for the invitation. So we wanted to take the opportunity to talk to you based on your uh, leadership and based on your special interests in diverse aspects of ATS, but particularly in uh, genetics and genomics. Uh, We wanted to ask you about how can ATS help in precision medicine of pulmonary critical care and sleep disorders? So um, I think as a leading professional society uh, in pulmonary critical care and sleep medicine, we can truly impact our patients through precision medicine in different manners, um, through research, uh, advocacy, education um, of our members, and mentoring of the next generation of physicians, scientists, and scientists. Precision medicine is a reality. Um, you know, the, the fact that we can treat uh, patients that uh, on the surface appear to have the same syndrome as others, but in fact have a disease with a unique pathogenetic mechanism um, in, a, in, a, in a targeted manner is very exciting and should impact you know, prevention, diagnosis, management, and prognosis. Uh, because of our uh, meeting, number one, our international meeting, it's very important that you know precision medicine, genetics, genomics are adequately featured uh, throughout the conference. Uh, it's an area of great interest and, of course, of, of great importance. With regard to research, you know, funding uh, through our foundation, advocacy for funding at a federal uh, and a state level uh, continues to be an area of, of great importance. And as precision medicine develops, it is also our obligation to disseminate what we learn uh, to clinicians. So they gain an understanding of how um, they can apply that into their daily life. So I think dissemination and implementation are also very important. Um, Sounds great. And this is um, Blanca Himes asking the next question. Um, I'm just curious. Um, in terms of specifics of how genomics might evolve at ATS and or by members of ATS doing research, um, um, what do you see as the difference between um, junior investigators sort of becoming part of these large and established cohorts versus um, coming up with our own um, sort of smaller scale studies? Um, or, or how do you see all of these um, different ranges of studies evolving um, in time based on what the landscape looks like these days? So, you know, I think one of the major developments over the last few years is the realization that that nobody can in its own, uh, for the most part, do, uh, you know, excellent studies of genetics and genomics um, alone. So that has led to the establishment of consortia and collaborative groups. One of the greatest uh, strengths of our society is the possibility of networking uh, at all levels. Uh, meeting people who are uh, uh, senior leaders, meeting people who are mid-career uh, junior people. 
In that regard, the, uh, the ATS, and in particular the section on genetics and on genomics, can act as a great facilitator uh, to foster these collaborations with the understanding that, you know, um, junior people should get access uh, to these uh, to data from these cohorts, lead some of these projects, and be adequately nurtured, you know, as they advance uh, in their careers. So I think win-win uh, collaborations um, where everybody feels that they have an opportunity to participate, uh, lead, and interact um, are the way to, to go. And in terms of the existing cohorts, do you think we have um, adequate cohorts now, or what do you think are sort of the most um, important um, gaps in current research that uh, we might fill in, uh, particularly research related to um, um, genetics or genomics of pulmonary diseases? So one of the problems that we face, and, and I'm sure you're familiar with this, is that um, what we t try to do is often impaired or made a little bit more challenging by financial constraints. So to be very specific, sometimes we may have cohorts that have as many as 100,000 patients, uh, but they lack uh, certain data that we uh, cannot, you know, explore at this time. So, you know, they may have, for instance, genetic data, but lack epigenetic data um, or other omics uh, data. On the other hand, uh, they may lack uh, data on certain environmental exposures that are of particular interest, you know, for a disease. So I think the, um, the challenge and the opportunity for the future is to uh, start collaborations in a manner where the most sensible uh, data is collected from the outset. Uh, and not how it often happens now, uh, where we have to go back and try to do the best we can with what was collected. Dr. Saladon, you were mentioning also highlighting the role of mentoring. And uh, ATS has a, a tradition of uh, very strong mentoring, specific programs trying to match people at junior parts of their career with people in other institutions, uh, kind of trying to expand those networks. Can you, can you talk a little bit more about that um, and how it has evolved over the last few years and how do you see what the future of that mentoring can help realize that, that vision of uh, precision medicine? I, I think this is, you know, this is very important. Uh, men and women come and pass, but ideals uh, and dreams, you know, persist. Uh, and the only way we can ensure continued success is by, by mentoring the next generation. I think our society has been very sensitive, and, and leadership is, uh, is very much vested in that. So what you're referring to is a number of our assemblies and, I, uh, and sections you know, now have mentoring programs where uh, junior uh, members can pair with uh, a mentor, uh, typically external outside of their institution, that they can uh, exchange ideas, uh, talk about career development, uh, work-life balance, you know, in, uh, in an informal or more formal setting. I think that that's hugely important. You know, I would, I would speak at a personal level. It's always good to have mentors within your own institution, um, and I've been fortunate to, to have those. But I've also benefited from the wisdom and advice of people at, since the start of my career who were outside of my institution 
and could give me perhaps you know more detached or, or, or objective uh, advice on some areas. Um, and, and that was always very helpful uh, to me to hear different perspectives um, about you know a problem where it's, it's uh, work related or, or elsewhere. So. Excellent. You were talking about your personal experience and how you know mentors have helped you. Can you provide us with a couple of examples of that um, and what are the main takeaway points of, of those? Well, you know, um, I don't uh, you know, <laughs> pretend that I that I that I know everything, but I will I will share you know a few a few ideas <laughs> with you. So I think that the main thing is for people to find something they truly, truly love um, because that will carry you through, through very difficult times. Um, you know, Jackie Robinson, who's the first African-American player uh, in the major leagues, uh, once said that life has no meaning except for the impact it has on the lives of others. Uh, medicine, where it's genetics, genomics, or, you know, clinical care, is, it's all about service. Uh, we often tend to forget that in the uh, daily stresses, uh, in the stresses of daily life. But that's ultimately why we uh, do what we do, why we show up for work, why we advocate, why we do research, why we uh, take it to the next level, you know, work long hours. It, it's all about service. Um, so in very, very difficult times, remembering what is it that you care about uh, and, uh, you know, that you really are part of sort of a greater context, you know, of helping other people will, will really um, help you. It's not about only yourself or your, your personal advancement, but, but also um, ultimately helping, helping others. Uh, so I think that that's very important. The second thing that, that I always tell uh, trainees is, you know, time management is essential. So you have now established a goal, uh, and you have to be very determined as to how to achieve that goal. And time is the most precious resource we all have. So I always, you know, say to people that one of the most precious words in the English language is no. Um, we all are presented every day with uh, many offerings or opportunities to do multiple things. So before you say yes to, to one of those, think about how that will impact other areas of your life. Will that help you uh, achieve your ultimate goals? How will that impact your work-life balance, your family, the time that you uh, devote to your family, to your friends? Um, you cannot do it all, and it's very, very important that you uh, set your goals, that you ask your supervisor what is it that you have to do uh, to be promoted, because unless you advance, you won't have a greater platform uh, to promote your goals. And once you know that, uh, be very, very uh, careful about your time. Uh, it's very important that we give of ourselves, but at the same time, um, you have to recognize that everything has some, some limits, and, and, and the, the earlier you recognize that, the better off you will be. Um, so I think those are you know, a couple of quick things. 
And related to that, could you tell us a little bit about um, what you've learned in your new leadership role at ATS? Um, I guess to most of us, that is somewhat of an obscure role. Um, on the one hand, it's straightforward that you're leading ETS, but what does that sort of mean day to day? And what are some of the um, things that you do that have been um, enjoyable or that you feel like you've made a difference and so on? I think that's a great question. You know, the, um, when you become part of the executive committee, you really, it's a five-year commitment. So I think the first year, uh, which is the year I'm in, secretary treasurer, you're really uh, learning a lot about the society. Ours is a very, uh, it's a wonderful, but very complex uh, society. And no matter how long or how much you have been involved, you still have a lot to learn. That, that said, one of the areas that, that I was asked to, to lead is um, um, our interactions with the Public Advisory Roundtable, uh, the PAR. And I can tell you that uh, that has been particularly uh, fulfilling. So uh, what that is, for those who don't know, it's uh, a group that includes our stakeholders, you know, uh, people who represent foundations, uh, for instance, Alpha Wanted, Tripsing, uh, Hermansky, Podlack, you know, since we're talking about genetics, they are all very passionate in many, um, in many instances, either they were affected by a particular disease or they have relatives that have suffered from a disease. They are extremely passionate about uh, uh, helping advance uh, knowledge and, and clinical care. Um, but at the same time, what I was uh, very moved by is that as a group, they recognize uh, that they are really advocating for a pulmonary critical care and a sleep. That even though they have you know, their own uh, niche, if you will, or their own disease they advocate for, there is a greater cause. And, uh, and I was really uh, very motivated and energized uh, we had a meeting in Miami in November uh, with the PAR, and, and getting to know these people was, was, was extraordinary. Going back to my prior comment, um, you know, that's why we fight at the end. We, we uh, do what we do because of our patients, and uh, that was great. Um, they are very generous in donating their time in some, in some you know, also money for our foundation. They also organize... Um, you know, uh, a meeting that I was also asked to, to help them with. It's just, it was just, it's just been a very fulfilling experience. Um, in the day-to-day -day operations, you know, we have weekly conference calls with the executive committee where uh, we discuss new initiatives, but also day-to-day -day operations. Um, this year, we had to lead the uh, selection of our new CEO, um, which, uh, you know, we have now a, a female uh, CEO. We're all very excited about that. I think she will do a great job. And so, you know, that gives you a little description um, of, of what we do. Follow-up question. What, what is your vision for the next few years of, you know, you're going to continue your involvement in the executive committee in addition to your current involvement with Par from what what are the main things that that you want to accomplish over the next few years? So one of the things that has changed, you know, it used to be that the ATS has these uh, yearly presidential initiatives, and that has 
being replaced by really executive committee uh, broad initiatives, and which I think is better for the society uh, in a sense that there is more stability. You know, under the, the former model, uh, every president would bring a new idea, and then the staff had to do things in short notice. And, uh, and so, but some of the things that, that I can uh, perhaps share with you is uh, it's no secret that I'm very uh, passionate and devoted to health equality and diversity. And one of the, um, the things that, that I include in my platform was not only uh, mentoring, but also this vision of, ex of truly realizing excellence in diversity. So um, one of the committees, you know, that I'm uh, liaison for uh, is health equality and diversity. We um, are now, you know, taking new initiatives. So I was leading with the ERS, a workshop that is about to be published on respiratory health in migrants and refugees. We are... Um, it, trying to make some changes to our electronic surveys to better capture information, say on race, ethnicity, that would allow us to, in a more fluid manner, uh, have members of historically underrepresented groups be, be uh, mem you know, uh, participate uh, in leadership positions in our committees and assemblies, that's something that I, I'm, I'm really pushing for, and I think the EC is very um, supportive of that. Uh, there has been great interest in, um, in diversity at all levels. Gender uh, has been a big push o over the last year, uh, but also across you know, all levels, um, race, ethnicity, disabilities, sexual orientation, et cetera, and I'm, I'm very proud uh, that our society in, in that way is recognized as a leader uh, among respiratory societies worldwide. Um, so I will continue uh, to push for that. Since we're talking about genetics and genomics, I would remiss to say that one of the things that I am concerned about, and I will, of course, uh, continue to advocate and push for, is that personalized medicine is good as long as everybody is included. Uh, we do not want these personalized medicine only for some groups and not others. So uh, making sure that everybody, uh, that all groups are adequately represented uh, in research, uh, that researching uh, minority groups or underrepresented groups is adequately funded, uh, and that we have a leadership that represents our membership. Uh, demographics have changed in the U.S. and in our society. We have to be cognizant of that and be uh, really uh, thinking forward. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Saladon, for, for your time. Thank you so much for sharing with us your particular vision about the present and the future of both our section, but also of ATS. Thank you so much for the opportunity to, to uh, talk to our members. Thank you.